Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your holly jolly host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm the gay apparel, Jax Nefflin. Uh, thank you for joining us this week for our holiday special. It's about that time, probably. I mean, right now we're recording it about two weeks early, so it's not that time yet. But hopefully you're all feeling the Christmas spirit. If you're not feeling the Christmas spirit, maybe you want to spend some time up in the cold, frozen regions up north where economic stress makes everybody just angry all the time. If so, you should watch Klaus. <laughs> As Jackson said, we will be talking about Klaus this week. We saw it on Netflix. It's an animated film. It's very interesting style, and we just wanted to talk about it. I think how I want to structure this is just rough overview thoughts, then quick summary, and then longer discussion. Because I, while this isn't like a movie that will be hurt by spoilers per se, I think I it is, is fun to see without knowing anything, without knowing too much going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there's one or two things that we'll talk about a little bit more, I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the animation is gorgeous. It's incredibly funny. It's oddly dark. Like it has a Nightmare Before Christmas vibe of being a Christmas movie, but set in a Halloween town. This is the Christmas movie that we deserve in 2019. <laughs> you mentioned that there are essentially two archetypes for Christmas movies: either single bad person encounters a community who teaches him the meaning of Christmas, or bright happy person encounters a woebegone community and teaches them the meaning of Christmas. This is a sad malcontent protagonist encounters a woebegone community and embezzles Christmas to try to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, it, it does have main protagonist as a schmuck learning the Christmas spirit and main protagonist is teaching others the Christmas spirit, but not knowing it and figuring it out as they go, it, it's a very, I have no idea what I'm doing sort of film. And again, very 2019. It subverts a lot of the tropes in ways that are very satisfying, but also don't feel like an annoying, like, wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing. Like, this feels more like experimental era Disney that feels like DreamWorks, if that makes sense. Yes. One thing I will say, while it's not, like, a huge part of the film, there are a handful of fat jokes that are not great. I mean, fat jokes are rarely great, but this is kind of in a very, like, not great space. Fatness is very often used as a shorthand for evilness or meanness. It's enough that I want to bring it up now in the pre-spoiler section because I don't want people to go in and have that ruin their day. We're not, you know, the right people to judge this. I don't think it was enough to, like, ruin the movie for me, but it might be enough to ruin it for you if you're not in a great place for that. Honestly, a great person to talk to about this would be Sarah Hollowell, so you should pay her to watch the movie and tell you about it. She often writes for Frolic, which, hey, Frolic, if you're listening to this for some reason, pay us, but also pay her to to talk about this movie. I do not think we're the sort of content they are seeking out. (laughs) We are not, but we could be. (laughs) We could pivot. Do you have a summary by any chance? Uh, I do not. Okay, well, I'm going to improvise through this. It's going to be fine. It's it's Christmas. We're all going to forgive each other. That's the plot of Christmas, (laughs) right? Is that Easter? I don't know. Anyway, Jesper is the... Son of the Postmaster General. He's the son of the Postmaster General. He's a layabout, and he's totally fine with being a layabout. His father is not. So he sends him up to Smearinsburg, a remote, icy island in the far north, with a mandate. He has to establish a post office and deliver at least 6,000 letters within a year. Otherwise, uh, he's going to be cut off from all his father's ludicrous money that he has as a postmaster. I guess that makes sense. However, the town is very hostile. They've driven away several postmasters before. Not a lot of funding to go around. No one really likes each other. The Ellingbows and the Crumbs are two feuding families. We're kind of, it's kind of like... Hatfields McCoys. Hatfields McCoys. I was going to say Hatfields and Montagues. Two kinds of people. (laughs) Easy color coding. Ellingbows are redheaded. Crumbs are blackheaded. 
Crumbs have dark hair. Raven hair it is, like, if you want to go with that. The crumbs have hair that is of ravens. After failing to get anywhere with the letter delivering business, including trying to con a kid into paying him to mail his picture that he drew that fell out of his window back to him, he visits the last person in town he hasn't talked to, Mr. Klaus, a man who lives in a remote cabin up in the woods. By sheer chance, the kid's picture that he never got back falls out of his pocket, and Mr. Klaus, uh, seeing it, decides to give the kid a present. After sort of strong-arming Jesper into helping him deliver this gift, the kids decide that if they send a letter to Mr. Klaus, he'll give them toys, and Jesper becomes essentially a drug dealer, but for letters to Santa. This business prospers, and he winds up inventing many of the Santa tropes, including uh, the flying reindeer, going down chimneys to deliver presents, the have-to-be-nice, etc. However, in doing so, especially in the being nice, he winds up getting a lot of kids and their parents to start being nice to each other, and the Elingbo Crumb conflict starts to dissolve. In the process, as part of this, he gets Alva, the former schoolmaster turned fishmonger. I would say jaded school schoolmaster. The jaded schoolmaster turned fishmonger due to lack of students into being a schoolmaster again, as all the kids want to go to her so they can learn how to write, to, so they can send letters. The leaders of the Ellingbow and Crumb households are not pleased, and start trying to foil Jesper's machinations, up to and including destroying all the presents that they're going to give out on Christmas Eve. However, Mr. Klaus and Alva knew about this, planned for it, and, and it turns out that only the decoys were destroyed. The Ellingbow and Crumb machinations included telling Alva and Mr. Klaus about Jesper's ulterior motives, but his dedication to saving the presents, even at personal risk, wins him back into their hearts. They deliver the presents, all the people of Smearinsburg are happy, and the tradition carries on for years to come. Eventually, Mr. Klaus wanders into the woods and becomes one with the legend of Santa Claus, and the presents continue being delivered even though no one's actually making them anymore. And that's a rough summary. It's a pretty basic story. The con artist, the good people, the people who find out, etc. But the way it's told is what really sells it. If you've ever seen the 1970s Santa Claus is Coming to Town, it's a very similar story about, you know, evil town leadership, disadvantaged youth, and how Santa becomes Santa. Imagine roughly what it would be like if it was Emperor Cusco invents Christmas. Jesper has a lot of similarities to Cusco from Emperor's New Groove. It works really well because it hits that sweet spot of this person is insufferable, but still kind of likable. Him having good lines helps make him bearable, and because this is a Christmas movie, you know that he's going to get better over time, so you kind of are excited to see what things are going to happen to cause this guy to improve. Yeah. There's a great bit towards the beginning, kind of tell me who he was as a person. Wait, do you know how long it took to press this uniform? I don't either, but it took somebody hours. Hello? That tells me everything I need to know about who he's going to be. Mm. Alva, who wanted to be his love interest, is also great. Her introduction scene has her just cutting open bunches of fish in this schoolhouse that is now just full of uh, dead herrings and stuff. And the teacher's globe ha has become her knife block, which, wow, big mood. Yeah, it is a very cool aesthetic. Rounding out the major cast, we have J.K. Simmons as Mr. Klaus. Um, yeah, this is where J.K. Simmons is Santa Claus. Honestly, he is, I don't want to say underutilized, but used sparingly here. Uh, Mr. Klaus is very stoic, soft-spoken. Well, he's very stoic and honestly does not have a lot of lines. He yeah. also doesn't really show up until around the climax of Act 1. Right. And he doesn't really start opening up until towards the end of Act 2. Mm -hmm. So a lot of his lines are like one-sentence things. 
Less presence, less weight. Uh, and he starts to slow across more as he opens up, but um, I agree that he doesn't get all that much to do. Uh, he's much more of a physical presence than an auditory presence. Yes. Um, and like the physicality of him is great. He's this big, imposing figure who carries around an axe because he's a woodsman. You know, Santa Claus with an axe. Always fun. And he also just have a lot of kids running around. And then the Ellingbows and the Crumbs are kind of pleasantly caricaturish. Yeah, uh, John Cusack plays uh, the crumb matriarch. Uh, Will Sazo plays the El- Ellingbow patriarch. And, you know, they do a good job bouncing off of each other. Looks like someone might need help mailing letters. Yeah. Who? I, I, I mean, how have we never defeated you? Other notable characters, we have Norm MacDonald as Mogans, who is the fer- ferryman. Um, <laughs> Jesper gets on the wrong foot with him, and Mogens continues to just jab at him and revel in his misfortune the entire time he's there. Where, where is the mail anyway? Where do you keep it in a different room now or something? What about if I walk around the room, if I get close to the mail, you say warmer. And if, I, if I'm getting farther from the mail, you say colder. It's very good, and he winds up being kind of the only person who seems to be enjoying themselves for the first act, which is really important. Mm-hmm. While this is a bleak town, you need to have at least some people who are happy so it doesn't feel too bleak, especially for a kid's film. Mm-hmm. While the town is bleak, it never feels like an unenjoyable experience. Yeah. Mogens is this like very mercurial trickster type character, mm-hmm. and Norm MacDonald was an excellent choice for the voice. Right. There is one character who... I'm not super fond of the execution of them. Margot is a uh, Asami character who does not speak English and cannot write, and so she's not getting presents from Santa. A lot of her role winds up being character who says lines in a language the protagonist doesn't understand and therefore can't really have a conversation with, so he'll just sort of talk at her about his feelings, like a Disney princess's animal companion. Bad night, huh? Well, join the club. Nah, I don't want to bore you with it. Well, okay. It's just been bothering me, you know? It's not the greatest thing. The Sami are not really allowed to be fleshed-out characters. The Sami in the film never really speak English. They only speak Sami. And it's awesome to hear that on hear that on screen, but we don't get any translation of them at all, so we're just kind of we're forced to figure out what they're saying via context clues. It feels like it removes some agency from them, at least for those in the audience who don't also speak Sami. Right. But also the Ellingbows and the Crumbs who make up most of the islands are vibrant characters who have goals and drives and wants and needs, whereas the Sami kind of seem pretty content with things, apart from you know a little girl who wants presents, which I think isn't like that. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's just how kids be like that which means they don't really get to be as flesh out as characters in terms of driving the plots yeah. they do wind up becoming functionally Santa's elves I think I'm also not entirely sure yeah. about but... they at least never thankfully never like refer to them as elves or like talk about that implementation of the Santa Claus mythology um, but right. they, they are helpers in his workshop they are the ones who create the iconic red suit for Santa uh, which definitely fits in with their traditional garb I think that was a clever thing. I don't know how that fits into like traditional uh, Sami garb and any customs related to that. So that is actually hashtag not great. My bad. But I think it was an interesting idea to 
explain where this coat comes from in an otherwise very drab world. One thing we should probably cover, while Klaus is very much Santa Claus, like it's very clear what's happening here, uh, this is a more or less non-magical film apart from... The Cla very end where after Mr. Klaus... He doesn't really die. He kind of he literally fades away into the wind. Right. There is the somewhat magical aspect of it. There's a, a sort of wind outside of his house that will direct him towards things or direct letters to him. It is hinted at being the spirit of his wife who passed away after she got sick years ago. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Klaus was dead to begin with. <laughs> I think the decision to have it be a more or less non-magical world apart from the sort of just inherent magical Christmas is fine that works out well um and i think it also helps make it so the sami are less like the magical other it's yeah. again still some not greatness there but i think it could be again could be a lot worse yeah i it's great that they're getting represented in stuff and this, like this is their second mainstream rep they're getting this year the other being the north aldrin are very very much inspired by the sami people mm -hmm. and that was a portrayal that was consulted on with a lot of like sami Officials. I will say that the young voice actress that they got for Margu does in fact speak Sami, is Sami, and in fact only speaks Sami. That is actually really cool. Yeah, so in fact the director when they went, like, went to go record the lines with her, their interactions were very similar to Jesper's and Margu's because the director did not speak Sami and uh, Nita Laba did not speak English. <laughs> I was really worried that we're going to have like an arc where... Uh, Margu learns to speak and write English, but she doesn't, and I'm really glad, because that would have been a really gross thing of, like, her, like, modernizing and becoming part of our world or whatever, and she doesn't have to do that. It's that's, That makes me really happy. Yeah. Although, like, it helps write a letter for her, but more in a, like, translatory capacity as opposed to a making her English-speaking capacity. Yeah. One major thing that we have not talked about yet is the actual visuals of the film. They're gorgeous. Like, I would hang almost every frame of this on my wall. So this film is 2D animated. How? How? I don't believe it. Jackson did not realize it until I told them after the film had finished. I full on thought it was just a cool 3D animated style. It is stunning to look at. Sergio Pablos, who uh, directed the film and also founded the animation studio that produced it, um... Like that, uh, that animation studio worked on this proprietary proprietary technology to do the volumetric lighting that is used in the film. There's a few videos online of you see the process of going from storyboards to finished line work to colors and then the uh, applied lighting effects, and it is stunning how much of a difference they make. I mean, the character designs are gorgeous. They are very straight out of a children's book. They remind me a lot of like an experimental era at Disney, or even um, some of the more caricature designs you'll see in DreamWorks pictures, especially the earlier ones where they're going more for style than uh, realism. The volumetric layer, they just... The characters come to life. They feel so real. It's, it's incredible. The way that they are lit, the way that they interact with the scenes, makes them feel like they really fit into this world that feels like a real place. Mm -hmm. Even though all the buildings are tall and spiky and held together by, I guess, inertia, and even though all the landscapes are impossibly picturesque or impossibly bleak or both, these characters still feel like they are part of this world. The other thing, it has a lot of visual style going on. So when Jesper initially gets to Smearinsburg, it is very dark, it is very dismal and bleak and it 
stays that way. And as he is getting more hopeful about changes in the situation, as he is spreading joy to these children with Klaus, there are more warm tones that are incorporated into the film. There are more bright colors. The lighting is more abundant. And there's this visual evolution of the film that follows its emotional arc. Watching that light slowly grow and expand, like we're like watching the sunrise, and it's really very well executed. The creators had a lot of fun with some of the background stuff. There's a lot of scenes where they could have just had a very like flat, empty background, but they took the time to fill in the little details, give us little like ornamentations in people's houses or in the trees or whatnot. Uh, one thing I deeply love, during the scene when the town is starting to decorate for Christmas, there's been a whale skeleton hanging off one of the buildings towards the entrance of Smearnsburg that they're using as the Christmas tree, which, again, wow, what an aesthetic. Another amazing thing that this film does is their transitions between scenes are oh. phenomenal. Oh, so good. Um, like, the way they put care into animating those transitions, they're not just second nature. They don't do just, like, fades or wipes or whatnot. They are visually interesting, and they draw your eye to a point, and then that point changes, and from there, the scene changes. It's clear that a lot of care and thought and attention was put into how this movie was going to look from the start, and I would love to look at the storyboards. The storyboards alone should be, like, on a wall somewhere. While we're talking about the visuals, we should also talk about the uh, some of the things it borrows from, like, folk horror. Sure, to yeah. To tell the story, uh, especially surrounding Klaus in the first act. <laughs> yes. It's definitely the archetypal thing of, like, scary looking guy in the woods turns out to have a kind heart but they go they go for the scary like there's a bit where jesper says <laughs> please don't chop me up and scatter my parts in the woods is this a kid's movie i don't think this is a kid's movie anymore yeah the axe that klaus is using is very prominent throughout a lot of the film up to the point where as he fades into the wind his axe is left behind and like there's some close-ups on it and i just turn to jackson and say he whoever holds wields this axe shall have the powers of santa <laughs> if this movie didn't have that like horror aspect that, that scary town the sense of like comedic and whimsical but still probably kind of real danger the tradition wouldn't feel as impressive like yeah there are some people just carrying around bodies. We see them have multiple corpses just in a sack. It's fun, it's spooky, but I think it kind of works for the, the vibe of the film. It, like, it's fun and spooky in like that Adams Family way. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's safe, scary. Probably kids could enjoy this. It's definitely in the like, Hocus Pocus Paranorman kind of space. Yeah. Which, as someone who is all about the whole tradition of ghost stories at Christmas, there'll be scary ghost stories. Here for it. It's a very strong aesthetic choice. Mm -hmm. While I enjoy the Ellingbows and Crumbs learn to be good people again thing, the ending conflict where we have the kind of matriarch and patriarch of the Ellingbows and Crumbs teaming up to stop Jesper and Mr. Klaus and all that jazz. So they can preserve the feud. So they can preserve the feud. Ones are feeling a little heavy handed, and I feel like we could have done away with that and had just some sort of like ecological trouble or something uh, as the impediment. I don't know if this movie needed like a big bad villain, if that makes sense. I understand why it did. I understand what it was doing. I think this movie could have existed without that and been fine. I think you're right in that it could have existed without it and been fine. I do think that having the conflict between the Crumbs and uh, Ellingbows 
is interesting specifically because of how this film portrays heritage and tradition in a very negative light. And the idea of a Christmas movie that leans towards a progressive moving from tradition approach is really good. So, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's something that is pretty unique and also specifically directly tying like heritage and tradition to hate in the way that this film does feels very very 2019 right which i mean it's not quite santa claus stopped the civil war per se but it's a tad bit of that yeah it also paired very well with uh joyce noel which is a movie i love that i think everybody should watch which is about the um christmas day armistice during world war one a lot of this like these themes are uh i don't want to say complicated but um weakened by the fact that there's not really any people of color. It's a remote village in, like, Norway. Right. Way up north. That's not to say that, like, black people can't exist in Norway in remote reaches, but unfortunately, because of how audience are, it's a tough sell. It feels unbelievable, and so it kind of is a self-fulfilling prophecy. While the movie has generally pretty nice music, there are a few songs that want to be breakaway pop hits, as it were. I don't think they work super well. The... The, the words are kind of on brandish, but they don't augment what they're doing. They're just sort of there. It's a pretty minor complaint. I will say, though, that the, like, very, like, drug dealer-esque scene that is set to How You Like Me Now by The Heavy, I will go to bat for. That scene is amazing. Oh, oh yeah. That scene was good. That scene was very good. A, I love that song to begin with. B, it is used to amazing effect. Yeah. I would have watched this movie first thing when it came out if it had been pitched as uh, protagonist is drug dealer for Christmas letters. Like, that is... <laughs> like, you could have shown just that one scene and that should have been the whole trailer. While this movie keeps a pretty good tone of being in the 1800s the or whatever, the more modern bits usually work. Although you had a problem with one of the lines. Yeah, so Jesper is first trying to deliver mail throughout town and just not getting a warm welcome from the locals and... He's like inching his way across the ground and he passes by Mogan the Ferryman and Mogan comments, oh, I guess that's why they call it snail mail. Doesn't make any sense because that's the only type of mail you have. Right. Mogan's kind of has that only character who knows they're in a movie thing that you get in a lot of Disney movies. Yeah. So I'm kind of okay with it here. Like he's very much the donkey or the genie of this movie. Yeah. It works, but he doesn't have more of those moments, so it isn't like a consistent thing yeah. for him. Later that same scene, he makes a joke about uh, express mail that lands much better. Right. Sorry. We're nitpicking, but I, a lot of this movie really does work. Even even my nitpicks are just like, you know, here's little tweaks. Like, on an emotional level, everything is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, I um, felt a lot of feelings as this movie went on. Oh, yeah. It's, it is a great movie i like i am one who like early december i am definitely not in the christmas spirit i like bah humbug everything like that until i watch my first christmas movie and then it's just there and this was my first christmas movie for this year and it is great it is wonderful i am probably going to put it on my rotation my yearly rotation because it's it's very, very good. My biggest complaint was the fatphobic stuff. Some of you may have seen Jax and I talking about it on Twitter, but it is just so unfortunate that it's there because if it were not, this film would be five out of five. It is 
amazing visually. The story is very well constructed. The humor is very solid. It is heartwarming, but also commenting on things that we have to deal with in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Up to and including teachers having to use their own money to buy school supplies. Yep. Um, plot point. Plot point. I would definitely say, like, go ahead and watch it, even if just for the visuals alone, because like this is probably one of the best-looking 2D animated movies in a decade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to express this because, I mean, it's, it's you know, apples and oranges, but this animation is more beautiful to me than a lot of, like, the near-photorealism of 3D animation you get from, like, DreamWorks and Disney right now. I am really excited to see what else comes out of... Spa Studio after this because this is phenomenal for their first film. This is like essentially like the debut for the studio instead of some kind of like like the like small the, short film. Yeah, small short film is ridiculous to me. I will say it's not surprising. Sergio Pablos and a number of other people who worked on the film are Disney veterans, and th like this was specific. This studio was specifically founded to to continue on and keep experimenting with 2D animation when Disney decided that that was not the direction that they wanted to go. Honestly, between this and Spider-Verse, the past couple of years, we're getting a mm -hmm. lot of experimental animation that is outside of the like Disney Pixar standard. And I'm really excited because a lot of these films have kind of felt samey for a long time. This did come out the same year as Into the Spider-Verse, didn't it? No, because Spider-Verse came out last year. Oh, good, because I was going to say, like, uh, uh, they're not up for the same awards. No, they yeah. came out about a year apart because uh, Spider-Verse won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars last year. Right, yes. Excellent. Cool. Um, I'm not serious. I don't want to be like, this is as good as Into the Spider-Verse, because, wow, what is? But <laughs> also, also some unfortunate fat jokes in that one. Huh, what's up with that? Anyway, it, it is of the same magnitude of very visually exciting and novel. Yeah, this, I know this film is up for a number of Annie Awards, and I hope it wins a few because it deserves it. For sure. Yeah, I think it's it's nominated for seven Annie Awards. Which awards? Best Animated Feature, uh, Best Character Animation sure. in a Feature Film, Best Character Design in a Feature Film, yep. Best Directing, mm -hmm. Best Production Design, Best Storyboarding, and Best Editorial. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, that all sounds totally fair. I mean, I also don't know what else is up against, but yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, all we've got for class right now. I'm sure there's much more to say, but, you know, a good opening thing. While we're here, what are your, like, say five or so, like, movies you gotta watch every Christmas, best case scenario? Uh, top of the list is obviously A Muppet Christmas Carol. Right, obviously. Muppet Christmas Carol. No matter what Mike says. <laughs> <laughs> Although, honestly, I'd love to do a Christmas Carol bracket, even just a mini bracket at some point. Might be a fun thing for next year. Yeah. Just, just make make all the Tiny Tims fight. <laughs> <laughs> that may mean we have to watch uh, Disney's Christmas Carol again. No, we are, already talked about it. We have a rule about that <laughs> that I just made up. <laughs> I've also talked about uh, George Noel. I you know, want to throw that in there. I will say I used to enjoy the Santa Claus movies quite a bit. However, Tim Allen's a shit, and it has unfortunately ruined my enjoyment of those films. I'm sorry about that. At least one of the Home Alones I'll probably throw in there. Um, uh, my, my preferred Home Alone is three. Yep. Oh, the Home Alone three is great. Home Alone 1 is kind of like the quintessential like go-to, but I think Home Alone yeah. 3 is just more fun. Yeah, so. and like to be fair, Home Alone 3 is also not strictly a Christmas film, but it happens during winter. Like He gets a gift that I, I can't remember if it was for Christmas or whatnot, 
Sure. It, it's been a while since I've seen it. But also the home, the first two Home Alones are objectively Christmas movies, so we yeah. can kind of slide it in there. Yeah. While I understand the humor of it, I'm not one of those like Die Hard is a Christmas movie kind of people who like who are like really dedicated to that idea. I mean, I really just enjoy watching Die Hard. It yeah, is, it's fine. Like it's it is an '80s action classic that happens happens to happen on Christmas, and it's. It's nice to toss that in there just as something different from all the other Christmas movies. So I understand why people are very attached to it as this is a Christmas movie because that means that I can watch this and not feel bad about it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and just have something different. Yeah, which can be important, especially if you're like throwing a party for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Also throw in the original uh, animated The Grinch. It is remarkable how well that holds up and the diss track of it is your mean one, Mr. Grinch, is scathing. Oh, it's very good. You wouldn't know about these probably, but every year we get a Doctor Who Christmas special, and those are almost always all good. And mm-hmm. so I'll probably put at least one of those on. As a kid, I was very into like all of the stop motion holiday films, like Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Sure, uh, sure. Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Mm, yeah. As I've grown older, they have not uh, kept their appeal. <laughs> they're 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 quite hokey. <laughs> sure. Also, I guess. I don't know if this is going to go on my rotation or not, but I woke up to a text, uh, a message in the group chat, and a Facebook status from someone telling me that I should go see The New Black Christmas. So I guess I gotta go see that too. Oh, another one I actually like. This one is going to be a bit of a weird one. So it's from like the mid to late 90s. Uh, It's a Jonathan Taylor Thomas film called I'll Be Home for Christmas. Okay. So he is off at college. He has avoided going home to his family. However, his dad has a classic car that he has been ogling for years, and his dad's like, if you make it home for Christmas, the car's yours. That's your present. However, he's kind of a bit of a uh, con man. He pisses off some jocks by, like, selling them fake answers for a, like, final. Sure. And so they glue him into a Santa suit and leave him, uh, like, abandon him without (laughs) any way to get home. Wow. And so he's scrambling over the course of a few days to get home so he can get this car. That sounds fun. I'm here for that. I know a lot of people enjoy Rise of the Guardians. Okay, yeah. Rise of the Guardians is fun. I'm not sure if it... It doesn't quite... It's not strictly a Christmas movie. It does have Jack Frost and Santa in it, though. It has Santa Claus, who's like former Russian mob Santa, which <laughs> yes. is a very good mood. Um, it also has Australian Easter Bunny, voiced by Hugh Jackman. A choice was made. I think it has all the things that I think are unmissable for me. This is also assuming that there's, there's time. Some Christmases you just don't have time for movies, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah, so that's... That's Klaus and other Christmas movies. I hope you go see Klaus. Well, you don't have to go see yeah. it. It's on Netflix. Stay see Klaus. <laughs> um, uh, like, get so, some nice cozy pajamas. Get mi- yourself some a warm glass of milk and some cookies and watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. It is so such low effort to see it and the movie is so good. And I really wanted to have the numbers to get to do more of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully this is out before it's too late for me to say this, but, you know, like, uh, Happy Yule, Happy Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, and any other seasonal festivals around this time. Whatever your winter holiday, we hope it is merry. Mm-hmm. And we will see you all next year for our next bracket. Mm-hmm. Once again, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.